0: This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. Each week, we will discuss tools, tips, and ways to radiate your best life ever, interviewing practitioners, authors, and luminaries to help you on your path. Wellness, joy, peace, abundance. What do you want to radiate? Hello and welcome to the this episode of the Radiate Wellness Podcast. Today, we radiate acceptance with Amanda Heinson, the owner of KC Wellco and licensed marriage and family therapist. Welcome, Amanda. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So happy to be discussing this because we're going to be talking about, oh my gosh, all the stuff that's going on, depression rampant. COVID mm-hmm. fatigue, just seasonal affective disorder, too. Why not throw that in? Yes. Stress, right? Just exhaustion.
1: Exhaustion. Okay. So we well, literally, <laughs> negative 10 degrees. Yeah. Not now, but last week. Last week? Yes. It was awful. Yeah,
0: we're recording this toward the end of February, the week before. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, it was all power yes.
1: outages. Did you have your yes. phone go out? I did. Thankfully only for three hours, but I did. Oh, but three hours. I know the HVAC wasn't working in my suites, my, at the Casey Welco suites, which are in a hundred plus year old building with gorgeous original leaded glass windows, which are super great until your HVAC doesn't work and it's negative temps outside. So many space heaters, many blown fuses, many, 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 much energy expended to try to warm up our, our space in the, in the weather last week.
0: I can't even imagine when that building was built, how they dealt with those type of things. I know it's so true. I don't know. And then of course, you know, this morning we've had some kind of roving <laughs> issues. You're having done right. at your house
1: Right. I feel like this, my morning and my time here is a metaphor, one, just for working mom life. Absolutely. And two, for pandemic life. So, you know, my kids are not in school, in person. Uh-huh. Their school has been virtual since March of 2020. Yeah. And um, my construction project in my house that was supposed to be completed in October is happening now, today. and. Uh-huh. Uh, Yeah. And my husband's working because we balance or we take turns working so that someone can be with our kids. Right. Because both co-owners, right? Of KC Welco. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I've got my kids on a screen so that, you know, they're not asking me for food every 36 seconds while we do this.
0: Right. Because they would starve for 50 Mm -hmm. to 60
1: minutes. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Right. they They truly believe that. We've, we've literally talked about the physiology of digestion and, you know, sometimes it takes a minute for our tummies to know that we're not hungry anymore. I don't care. They eat and eat and eat and eat and eat. Mm (laughs) And as soon as mom is not right there
0: with them, then Mm -hmm. that's when they need everything. It's so true. It's so true. Mom can be in the other room and you don't Mm -hmm. have to need stuff.
1: I know. I know. I do love them, but boy, they're full time. Plus. Yes. Plus. And you've got a busy slate of clients. I do. I mean, I feel like it's been so interesting as a, as a clinician in this season. I feel very comfortable diving down into the deep end of people's stories and their trauma and, um, so much about them that's that is theirs and uniquely theirs and I feel like we can go deep down to the bottom of the ocean I've got the oxygen tank we're good and I can maintain you know differentiation and a little bit of distance from that enough to hold on to myself because it's not my story but in this season for the last year almost we're all living the same story together and we're all experiencing the social and political unrest and, and, and everything that has gone alongside this pandemic together. And so that's been so interesting as a practitioner to be living pandemic life alongside my clients while also trying to be a healer and a helper in that space, um, while trying to make sense of it myself. So what do you do to deal with your own stuff? You know, um, (laughs) a lot of acceptance. I feel like I practice a lot of, I was thinking of the things that I feel are really necessary to stay afloat from a mental health standpoint during this season. Mm -hmm. And I think that we need to have a lot of permission permission to not do something or do something, whatever that might be. Right. Um, I think we need to have a lot of acceptance, um, a lot of kindness, all of it wrapped in a package of kindness to ourselves. Absolutely. And a lot of forgiveness from others and and for ourselves. I mean, typically right now, in order to make life work with my kids, my husband, I see clients usually from 9 in the morning to 9 p.m. on Mondays and Wednesdays straight. Right. Which feels like the morning of those days by the end of the day feels like a yesterday. It's just...
0: And we do tend to lose track of time when it's crazy busy like that.
1: Yeah. And so often on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'm just trashed but of course yeah. as a mom i want to be on top be- of my game oh. yeah so i think as i try to juggle my responsibilities as as an adult functioning in the world grocery shopping appointments you know mm-hmm. plus being my kids teacher which is kind of silly being their their project manager of their 1990s corporate job where they're in and out of meetings all day doing paperwork. Um, and you know, as a clinician and then as a, as a business owner, I, I been screwing a lot of things up, you know, like I'm double booking my clients. I'm forgetting something. I'm locking myself out of my office with my phone in my office, you know, when it's time for a virtual session and just I have to give myself a lot of grace and forgiveness for not getting it all right and regularly screwing things up and yeah, I think that is a really important point, Amanda, because, you know, as
0: women, I, we could talk woman to woman, mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. take it all on and yes. we're expected to pull it all off.
1: Yes. Because yes.
0: When we do, that sets the expectation. Mm-hmm. And that, that expectation does not necessarily realize we're in a pandemic, we've got kids at home, they're struggling with
1: virtual stuff. Yeah, we got to. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, and I I think we already exist under this cultural narrative that says that we need to be producing and achieving at a level that's a bit dehumanizing. Absolutely. And then when you couple um, the the ways that different people respond from their trauma, you know, for me, I'm an over-functioner. Right. Um, I used to say in therapy years ago, I know my capacity, but I don't know my worth. I mean, I can, I can bust some stuff out, but often at the expense of myself. And then in the past feel a lot of shame whenever I wouldn't be functioning like a, like a machine. And, you know, the complexity of, of life in general and the complexity of COVID life strips away, I think the capacity to do that rightfully so. Because right. our our nervous system full-time is bearing the weight of a threat.
0: Absolutely. Right, right. Our cortisol levels, our mm-hmm. adrenaline levels are just so high. Yeah.
1: And, you know, early in the pandemic, every small decision that we would make uh-huh. was fraught with... <laughs> questions that oftentimes ended with thoughts like, could someone die? Could I get, you know, I mean, I I realize that sounds dramatic, but it's true. You know, even right now with my mom, my mom got vaccinated yesterday. Thank goodness. But every decision that I make right now is filtered through. How could this affect my unvaccinated high risk mom? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. When, when our daily decisions have that weight attached to them and they are things that are typically benign like buying groceries or dropping a kid off at a friend's house because you have to work or all of the many small things that need to happen each day to make our life function. When that level of decision-making and weight is attached to them, you can be exhausted by 9 a.m. That
0: is such a good point. And when we realize that, then we can just put everything into perspective. It's like, no wonder I'm exhausted all the time. Yeah. No no wonder I'm just like stressed all the time.
1: Yeah. Or I can't remember things or I'm losing words or I feel like I'm in a foggy haze or I'm not sleeping or so many of the symptoms that truly mimic a clinical depressive episode might be chronically lo- in a low-grade way present in our lives because we are stretched and tasked down to our very nervous system in a way that is um, really is really like, like strain trauma.
0: Strain trauma? I've not heard of that. Is that like PTSD, PTSD or something?
1: You know, I could be defining it wrong but my understanding of strain trauma is like it's like a thousand paper cuts versus a giant car crash right when right. we just have to exist in a state of hyper vigilance and exist in a state of yeah too much or too little for too long right Strain right. trauma strain mm-hmm. trauma
0: that makes a lot my gosh we're under all of us under so much strain and then mm-hmm. add to that we might have a, a loved one in a nursing home mm-hmm. and be able to see them or having to juggle that and absolutely right. um, and so like right now I mean we've got all of the things that we've mentioned you know the pandemic the stresses of trying to homeschool your kids and work <laughs> and run a business and see your own clients and I mean it's like uh, all of these stresses, and then we've also it's, this is a year now practically yeah. that we've been been living with the pandemic, and we're still masking and being careful and sanitizing mm-hmm. and limiting mm-hmm. our exposure, et cetera, et cetera. How do we tell the difference? Mm-hmm. between What is truly depression? What mm-hmm. is pandemic fa- fatigue? And what is just plain stress?
1: Yeah, you know, I've been thinking about that a lot, um, <laughs> obviously in my practice, but specifically, you know, in anticipating our conversation. And I've taken the last week to really reflect on my own, um, to just really notice my my own inner dialogue. Um, you know, I I have the greatest access to myself, of course. And so yeah. just been really thinking about yeah. that question. And I think it's really hard to tease it out, but I I really do think that the difference relates to our inner dialogue, Hmm. you know, it, it feels so common and so expected to have symptoms that look like a, a DSM, you know, diagnostic criteria, checklist of a major depressive episode, loss of interest in activities and sleeping more, eating less or eating more, you know, all of those things. But I think the hallmark is how, how are we speaking to ourselves? You know, if I don't, if my kid's, do only half of school on a Tuesday because I'm either too tired or we had to do other facets of life, like go to the store or I had to drag space heaters up to my office. Right. What am I saying to myself and about my life in relation to that? Is it, gosh, I suck. I can't get anything done or I can't believe this is happening or I'm failing my kids or bad things always happen to me or, you know, those are very extreme, but the shame, the shamey voices in our head are often pretty extreme and pretty unkind. Right. So if I'm saying things like, "Uh Oh, somebody's calling for me. Real life, real life is happening. Real
0: life. Exactly. We're, we're along for the ride. Real life. (laughs) You You,
1: you, you real quick.
0: Absolutely. So, This is this is our reality, folks. You know, um, we could have tried to schedule this this uh, interview at a time when there was nothing going on, but then we'd probably not get to it for another year or so. So Amanda and I even discussed this and we said, you know what? This is authentic. This is what authenticity looks like (laughs) and feels like, right?
1: Right. It really does. (laughs)
0: <laughs> um so this is authenticity and right. this is what we're dealing
1: with and the we're accepting pins, it
0: and we're accepting <laughs> it. You know, I talk about this kind of work from home with kids there needing things and stuff going on. Um mm-hmm. I talk about it like having a bowling alley in your brain because every once in a while the bowling ball comes in and we got to reset the pins and it can happen anytime.
1: Yeah, and and again, perfect opportunity. If we beat ourselves up mm-hmm. about things that we truly can't control, or even things that we can. Yeah. And we're already living in a climate that feels so uncertain and at times so exhausting. That is a recipe for developing a chronic depression. Yeah. Or 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 even an extended episode or even anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um So I think it matters so much that we begin if we don't already to distinguish and differentiate that critical voice or that catastrophic voice that can bubble up when something happens and recognize that um, with some curiosity, with some acceptance, and then with a response that is kind and wise and gives permission and gives, (laughs) that's accepting. Um, you know, I think that is how we tease out the difference between being truly, between experiencing truly a depressive episode that, um, needs more, uh, intentional intervention or, or maybe a more, um, maybe it's a little bit more, the acuity is higher. It's more urgent, you know, like we might need a little more than going for a walk outside and, and getting more sleep. Um, but I think that that internal dialogue is so key. Depression looks, looks so unkind. I think internally it looks hopeless. Yeah. It looks like losing sight. And I don't mean that in a critical way, but, you know, losing sight of the horizon, feeling like we're not ever going to get there. Um, we honestly struggling to find, yeah. Opportunities to make choices that are good for ourselves, and then blaming ourselves in the process.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, because when we're in those depressive episodes, those those moments where we do kind of lose sight of the bigger picture, it's like mm-hmm. all we can see is this moment.
1: Yeah, and then when we stop taking care of ourselves. Yeah, yeah. And you know, for me, taking care of myself looks different week to week. do you know yay like yeah like one week I might really feel like going for a walk or whatever it may be some small thing practicing piano that's always really relaxing for me cooking three four or five of my meals and not doing takeout whatever and then the next week it might look totally different it might be like giving myself permission to not do all the things that felt right to me last week and not beating myself up about it.
0: Oh my God. Just hearing that Amanda, it just, Oh, it's like release something inside.
1: Wonderful. Yeah. You know, I just, I really think too, that we as a culture are so binary unconsciously in how we view things. It's like sadness is dangerous yeah. Pain means that there's an emergency. Grief is something that must be avoided at all costs and is also dangerous. Right, yeah, right. Or, and then if we experience those things, then there must be something wrong with us. Exactly. Whereas we are having such a normal human response to where we are in this cultural moment that we live in, in this context in the United States especially, doesn't know what to do with pain. No. We just pathologize it. No. Right. And right. yet it's it's part of our human experience. So how can we take care of ourselves mm-hmm. in the midst of suffering or chronic low-grade or, or acute grief? How can we take care of ourselves? How can we be kind to ourselves? To me, that's that's how we know that we're staying afloat, yeah. not... Not experiencing a clinically depressive episode is when we can maintain that perspective, and at least some of the time, direct kindness towards ourselves as we try to stay afloat.
0: Absolutely. When you mention grief, and you know, during this pandemic, we've lost five hundred thousand Americans, mm-hmm. and that's not even mentioning the ones who are just forever changed because of it and will forever have difficulties yeah. in their life because of it but 500,000 actually deceased and that touches a lot of people these are the moms, the dads, the grandmas, the brothers, the sisters people with stories, people with lives
1: I, I know of a, a baby, a baby who, yes. who lost his mom before he was ever naturally born into the world
0: Yes, I I actually know that story too. I have been touched by that. Yes, but his mother. She he had to be delivered by C-section
1: mm-hmm. just days before she died. Yeah, I mean this 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 little human, this little soul. That yeah. experience, this this story, will shape and mark his entire life, his entire existence. Absolutely, his entire existence.
0: Yeah. And so we all care. And then those of us who are very feeling empathic people, we Mm -hmm. do feel that collective stress, even the collective Mm -hmm. grief.
1: Yes. I mean, Mm -hmm. I feel like this season allowed me to discover what grief feels like in my body. Not that I've never felt grief, but I never could say, oh, that feeling like someone hollowed my chest out, like when you're carving a pumpkin. That's what grief feels like in my body. Yeah. So if I feel that like curling inward, yeah, cr- carved out feeling, I now know, oh, I'm that's grief. That's not even just sadness. That's that's grief. Yeah, which is different. It is. It is. And
0: just recognizing that feeling and I think just being even practicing the presence and the mindfulness to recognize that rather than i just feel bad i need to do something to make my myself feel better.
1: Yes, there's yep. that acceptance again. Accept that your body is responding to something that's worthy of grief.
0: Oh. Well, and i think it needs to be said too that many of us grieve not mm-hmm. going to concerts. Yes. Not hanging out with our friends. Not doing the regular things we do at the
1: holidays. Yeah, not hugging people we love. Absolutely. Not I mean so many, many things. And then Right. I I I am kind of a dinosaur and an avid. To me, social media is part of our world and there's benefits, but I also think it's, it's, it can be such a destructive force. Right. And um, in addition to the reality of what we're experiencing, if we so choose, we can be inundated with a barrage of information, stories, data, conversations, what have you, that just don't bring light and life into
0: the spaces where we feel
1: grief or sadness or weariness. These are all different feelings. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, I think sometimes we just have to let them do the work that they need to do. And we have to accept them and and let them come over as like waves, like, like the tide, they come and they go and they, they have a purpose and we can accept them. We can be kind to ourselves in them. We can be kind to ourselves the weeks that we were like really feeling like we're managing well in this, in this life. And we can be kind to ourselves the week that we take four naps midday or zone out when you think you're supposed to be working from home or. Right. Yeah. Right
0: absolutely um and so of course we're we're all feeling this collective (laughs) heaviness this Mm -hmm. emotional soup that we're all in this stress soup that we're all in right we be concerned
1: yeah you know i think if you again when that when that when you notice a a lasting or more persistent change Mm -hmm. downturn, if you will, in your thoughts and caring for yourself and reaching for others. Um, I think that's a red flag. You know, if, if for more than a week, definitely two weeks, there's a shift in terms of how you're eating, how you're sleeping, um, how you're coping um, how you might be isolating in a way that's not just due to a few days of being tired, or if you stop pursuing, despite feeling tired, the things that feel normal or that feel healthy, yeah. if you stop doing those things in a more sustained way, I think it's time to seek help. When, when you notice that your thoughts are chronically negative or unkind or if you start to really feel hopeless. Yeah. um, I think it's time to seek help. And particularly if you begin to have thoughts about taking your life or ending your life. Absolutely. It's time to immediately seek help. And everyone at times has thoughts that look like depressive thoughts. Everyone, again, we don't control the thoughts that bubble up. We control how we respond to them. And, yeah. but when we stop responding in a way that looks like moving towards others and moving towards the things that help us feel healthy and normal, mm-hmm. that's when we need to ask for help.
0: Yeah. Good to know.
1: Now, I, mm-hmm. I would even say that at this time if there are resources, for instance, we have an intern in our practice that can see people for a very low cost. Even if you're not to the space where you feel like, wow, I think I might be clinically depressed. Get some help. If you can have it, get it. Absolutely. Find a therapist, find a counselor, find an energy worker, find somebody to be connected to that can invest and listen and prop you up for, 50 minutes to an hour because we we all need that right now
0: we do and especially when we're so isolated anymore Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: absolutely you know early in the pandemic i'd say you know maybe a month in we started you know talking amongst ourselves in the energy healing community it's like well those are those of us who are introverts, we're going to be fine. Reach out to the extrovert.' <laughs> because they're <not> really fine. <laughs> yep. And so the, the, those people who do depend on getting their energy by being around other people, and I think we all do at some point, even mm-hmm. as introverts, that yeah. we do need to reach out sometimes yes. and talk to somebody. I
1: mean, we, I, I fundamentally believe, and this is the, the, the crux of my clinical practice and how I view people in the world. We are, we, we fundamentally need one another. We are meant to connect. Yes. We are meant to be seen and held and touched. We are meant to be with others. Of course, introvert, extrovert, we need to have time to reflect and be, and be alone. And everyone has, has different needs and preferences in that regard, but fundamentally, we were made for each other. We're social animals. And we are social animals and we need a sense of rhythm and normalcy. You know, we live in a world that has seasons and rhythms and we, we are part of that natural world. And this has disrupted the ways by which we mark our lives in a seasonal rhythmic relational way. You know, even our practices of grieving, our practices of celebrating, getting married, having babies, burying our dead, all of that has been disrupted Absolutely, and has disconnected our sense of belonging and togetherness in so many ways. So if ever we can reach towards someone and have them reach back, I think those are the small healing moments that we need to look for every day during this time, every day period, but especially during this time. Yes, especially
0: during this time. And now I just wanted to send a shout out to some of our supporters. Julian, John, James, Marissa, Charlotte, Pauline, Becky, and Louise. Thank you all so much for keeping this podcast going. If you'd like to support this podcast too, please hit the like, follow, or subscribe button. Or give us five stars or a positive review wherever you're listening and share this with your friends. You can also subscribe to Radiate You, our private Facebook group, for bonus content, including classes and meditations. Another way to support our podcast is to go to radiatewellnesscommunity.com slash podcast and click on the Donate Now button. However you support us, we greatly appreciate it, and thanks for listening. Now I know that you practice um, marriage and family therapy mm-hmm. and, um, I saw on your website that you work primarily with uh, individuals who are the age sixteen and above
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, but what what are you seeing in families as a response to all of this that's going on
1: you know it's interesting. I feel like my license is a bit of a misnomer i <laughs> so i don't i Ironically, I do work with a few families, but I, and it's usually sibling systems, but oh. I work with them all separately. right? Um, so I don't, I don't work with a lot of families per se. Okay. I do occasionally. I do work with some couples. I work a lot with individuals, but I was trained as a systemic thinker. And so the way that I view people is within the context of their systems. And of course, our very first system is our family. So I don't know how to sit and be with people without trying to understand them through the context of the systems that they grew up in at at every level, um, ecologically in our lives. Um, And what I do notice is that there is so much pain and misunderstanding and relational fallout in families right now. And I've spent so much time with my clients as they have tried to make sense and understand their loved ones as they potentially conflict now in values. You know, they they want to wear a mask. Their parents don't want to wear a mask. they, whether we're talking about racial injustice or politics or masking or conspiracies yes. And so, and people are going at each other on social media, but then they're, you know, at a family outdoor socially distanced picnic, acting like everything is normal. So I think families are really struggling right now. And I, and in addition to, households that are just enduring a ton of strain brought on by this, by the, the restraints of the pandemic. Um, that's what you asked me, right? What's happening in families? <laughs> <laughs> hey, It's all good. Yes.
0: What ha- was happening in families? Right. Yeah,
1: And so I, I think a lot of what's happening is having to reckon with what it looks like to hold people and still love them when they don't agree with you. And when you don't agree with them,
0: That's a good point, because I think in in addition to all of the forced togetherness with nuclear families, people who live in the same household, there's that external stuff, because that's been blowing up this past year as well. Mm -hmm. right?
1: Yes. And again, at every level, you know, with my own family, I, I could go down an anxious train of thought and think, oh, my gosh, my kids aren't being educated the way they need to. I'm not present with them the way that I want to be anxious, 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 you know, down the rabbit hole. Right. But then I got to reel myself back in and, and say to myself, you know what, 10 minutes of deep presence with my kids is a gift for both of us. And my children have their little brains are moldable and malleable and they are resilient and they are loved. And that matters a lot. know, that's my kindness, acceptance, permission, forgiveness talk that I respond to my anxious thoughts with. So it's from that level of a family dynamic. Right to massive rifts between parents and children and brothers and sisters related to political differences. I think that's what we're looking at. And it's, it is, it's, it feels new. It, I mean, it's not new, but it feels new for our, our this generations. This depth
0: of it feels new. For
1: sure. You know, I imagine Generation. it, you know, the 1860s when you know the south seceded from the union we had some some pretty pretty catastrophic family rifts but and and, and perhaps at other times but i don't think we've experienced this not in my lifetime no
0: certainly not no it didn't used to matter where you stood politically
1: right and i think in some ways that's reflective of how we are evolving as a society and in that evolution, the cracks are being more exposed and, and some people are holding on tighter and some, you know, I think evolution always involves a period of chaos and and disorganization and Mm -hmm. things that reorganize flexibly and come back together, survive and things that are rigid and don't, and, and don't adapt, don't, don't survive. But I think, I think we're in a, a very large moment in time right now yeah. in our culture and in our history, and it is causing upheaval everywhere. It certainly feels important. It does, and, it, and it's introducing relational conflicts within families that, that might not be exposed or come up if we weren't in this important moment
0: that is a very good point these things needed to be exposed didn't they Mm
1: -hmm. yeah and they've been able to be kind of you know politely either not noticed or not attended to it hasn't been it's like an earthquake you know it's like a right it's like there
0: might have been a globe and somebody shakes your snow globe
1: yeah and and there's a lot of pain and confusion on all sides. Yeah. Yeah. A lot
0: of people feel that, you know, be just because their opinions are not agreed with that. They are being attacked and um, just sensing attack when they're, it might be just a difference of opinion too. Mm
1: -hmm. Just like the feelings are escalated. Well, yeah. And I do think when we're talking about things that center around Um, a deadly virus right Um, human rights
0: exactly Uh,
1: you know uh, freedoms uh, things that are just like real fundamental visceral values to people Mm -hmm. absolutely Um, I think that's where we get a lot of the pain and the disillusion and that and the stuckness Mm -hmm. um and 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 fear and fear is not ever a great a great lens through which to view other people that we love
0: it's not I see a lot of what I call fear porn that people are saying oh well you don't wear a mask because you're in fear or you wear a mask because you're in fear or you do this because you're in fear or you don't do that because you're in fear it's like you have fear you have fear you have fear and we all have fear uh-huh. just because I choose to do a certain thing does not mean that I'm living for my fear but when I I sometimes see it weaponized in a way and that doesn't feel healthy.
1: Yeah. Or even if you, what I see is if you mean this or believe this, Mm -hmm. then I fear it means this about you, or I fear it means this about you and me. Or if I hear this from you, I can't unhear it. This Mm -hmm. is kind of the unconscious fear. And then I might have to reexamine my own values or my own role in this or, I think that is what causes people to be combative and rigid, is that, that really unconscious fear. And it can be very corrosive. It can.
0: It can. But I think you have a very good point that it's like what's going on now is just bringing all this up to the surface. Mm-hmm. All of these things that were there, shining a light on it.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and, and I think if we can, again, <laughs> be kind, right, be curious, oh, right. Mm-hmm. hold some space for ambiguity and not knowing. Oh, yes, that's huge. Yeah, then, you know, we yeah, there, can go a long way.
0: Hmm. Yeah, there was, um, you know, people say periodically, well, they don't know what's going on with this virus. They just don't know. It's like, no, we don't. We don't, especially early on, didn't know what we were dealing with necessarily. It takes mm-hmm. a while to learn those things. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, the, the guidelines are going to shift and change mm-hmm. as we learn things.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And just sitting with, okay, this is what we know now.
1: Mm-hmm. This
0: is what we're working with now that may mm-hmm. change. And have, mm-hmm. having some some
1: grace about that and some yeah. about that. Some, some acceptance. Mm-hmm. some acceptance we can only can we, we can only do so much so how mm-hmm. can we be kind how can we be accepting how we how can we give ourselves permission to just be where we are right now and do the best we can with what we have absolutely so every day doing the best i can with what i have
0: e- yes every single day we have to decide that don't we
1: mm-hmm.
0: The best with what i have
1: mm-hmm.
0: Giving ourselves that grace and feeling the feelings Mm-hmm. Um, so let me ask how has your practice been affected by the past stress have you seen increase in clients increase oh, for in sure certain, certain things that you can
1: predict I mean my my practice is bursting and as it is for so many other clinicians I feel um pressure internally to try to find and connect people with good therapeutic resources because I mean it feels important to me but also because um everyone is full and and so many people are reaching and asking for help and I don't want them to reach and not and not get connected, you know? So, um, at Casey Wilco, we have an amazing collective of practitioners, very, all different kinds of modalities and, and orientations. And, um, I love our group. I love our practice. Everyone is there because they desire community. And so I think that really undergirds our, our, just kind of our our vibe, if you will. Right. And, um, we all share the load together. And, um, so that feels helpful. I'm so thankful that I'm not essentially practicing alone in this season and that I have a wonderful network of clinicians that we can refer and pass and share and support. Um, so, so definitely I have seen, um, what I, I I think is probably an increase in the need for mental health, which feels obvious. Um, and I've also seen, and I hesitate to say this because again, I think there's this really dangerous cultural narrative that we should be using this time to do something big or great or whatever. And I think that's a load of crap. Um, I, you know, I think that's, that's ludicrous. Now, if that happens to occur, awesome again, we look back in hindsight and a lot of great and inventive and art and beautiful things are made from within suffering in a crisis or even afterwards as a result. So I, I also think that there's been really positive things that have come out. You know, um, A few of the clinicians in our, in our office managed to scrape together a nonprofit that allows first responders to be seen for free for six sessions and, um, you know, responding to the pandemic and and new emerging clinicians that are living at home with their parents are able to afford to pay rent on their office and launch their practices, which they wouldn't have been able to do. And, you know, little shoots of, of life and grit and growth and, Commitment to this work, I think, have been solidified, and and um, you know, I see so many clinicians doubling down in their in their calling and in their vocation. As you know, we stand and face our clients every day, and 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 the pain that they're experiencing, and as we also just go through it ourselves, it's like I think it can just strengthen that that resolve to do the work. Yeah, um, and bind us together to help each other. As I think, really, the field is is inundated right now with with needs. It
0: truly is, and I, I do want to address some of the wonderful things that you do at KC Welco. You've got several practitioners. Can you tell me a bit about the
1: various services that are provided? Absolutely. So, um, let me do a visual picture of my offices. So you, I, I co-founded the practice with my husband and, um, I feel like we're probably some of the more boring clinicians there. You know, we just do regular old trauma, family of origin. Um, I, I, I work a lot with, um, individuals lately. Couples make me a little tired. Cause I don't have a lot of extra and they, they, they take a little extra work. My husband works with a lot of couples. Um, and then we've got a couple, Adam and Whitney. Adam is a combat vet and a hippie and a genius. And he is the one who started the, um, the frontline therapy network for first responders, but he and Whitney, they're, they are colleagues at whole health KC, and they both, practice from a union analytical standpoint. And so he does stream analysis and um, Mm -hmm. just a really interesting approach to therapy. They're both smart and brilliant, lovely clinicians. And then we've got a whole handful of folks that specialize in trauma um, from sexual assault to violence to interpersonal trauma. And then we've got a handful of clinicians that also do ketamine-assisted psychotherapy Tell me about
0: that. That looked
1: interesting. Yeah, you know that is overseen by a physician. So it's um, a physician will prescribe a certain dose of ketamine, which is a psychoactive drug, and it's really meant to be done. Um, I, I could be wrong, but it's not. It's not a. It's not like coming to therapy weekly. It's like an adjunct to therapy. Okay, where you go in you've got your prescription, you take this psychoactive ketamine, and you have a three-hour session with Michael or Ann. And I think that ketamine has been clinically shown to to be really effective with treatment-resistant depression. Mm -hmm. And I need to learn more. Again, post-COVID, I want them to come in and teach us at our practice more about what they're doing. But I know that In the clinical field, advancements are underway and research is underway regarding how psychoactive compounds can really treat treatment-resistant trauma and treatment-resistant depression. And so, again, it's a controlled session that is meant to help just create more expansiveness in terms of understanding, awareness, and, and healing in the realm of mood disorders. Right, right.
0: It sounds a little like what I do with integrative and quantum healing hypnosis. Yeah, probably very similar, just coming at it a different way. Right, right. Interesting. And then um, you have, so we talked about the whole health, we talked about uh, KAP, you've got all types of different counseling. Um, Are there, what are the, some of the
1: specialty areas? You know, so um, I do feel like almost everyone has a, a trauma focus. And I feel like that's such a, you know, what does that word even mean anymore? Um, but almost every clinician, maybe with the exception of Adam and Whitney, because they are more psychoanalytic in their orientation, right. um, has had additional training and treating trauma. And sometimes people are like, Oh, I haven't experienced a terrible car accident or combat violence, or I haven't experienced a violent sexual assault. So I don't have trauma wrong,
0: wrong, wrong. Everyone has trauma.
1: Yeah. Everyone has trauma. And, you know, a great way that I think we can summarize trauma is too much, too fast, too soon, or too little for too long. Um, whatever that might be. So I do feel like there is an overarching treatment focus of trauma in our practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but within that, we have little, and, you know, Emily uh, VA works with kids and teenagers. She also works with adults, but for years she was at Moxa working with that population. Letitia Robinson uh, works a lot with teenagers and families. Mm-hmm. Um, James works with young adults and men. I myself work a a ton with women and the occasional, um, you know, I work with individually with men too. And some couples, John works a lot with men and couples. Adam works a ton with combat vets. Whitney does a lot of depth work. Adam does dream analysis. Claudia is an emerging MFT who, who wants to have a somatic trauma focused practice and do the body work. Oh, Michael and Andrew cap Denise is an art therapist and Victoria and Lynette work together. Victoria does acupuncture for addictions. Oh yeah. And Lynette with tribal Venus comes alongside her and does human genome mapping and, um, kind of like life coaching around human design. I think she also does. There you go. Yes. Um, human genome mapping. That's how they discovered DNA. Sorry about that. Um, Mm -hmm. so that's just kind of a fire hose of what everyone's doing. Oh, and then Caleb, Caleb is our intern. Yes. Yeah. He is amazing. And, um, I'm working really close with him. And so is John as, as he's an emerging clinician and our student graduate intern. Right. And he also is looking to do um, not only just stress management and anxiety and depression management, but some of the depth work of understanding yourself. And I tend to do a lot of ego psychology and parts work. I feel like I'm using a lot of clinical jargon, but no, that's just okay. the different parts of ourselves and where they came from and how they function and, 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 how do we know all those parts and have them get along in a happy internal family? Right. So he's learning, he's learning that work with me. So I feel like we have something to offer across a broad range of needs. Right. And my hope and goal for Casey Wilco is that we will continue to be able to offer clinical services in a variety of ways that are accessible to everyone. Um, I'm working on getting something that I'm calling fair share off the ground. And it's a 501 C three that will allow um, anyone to apply for care and they'll pay just something based on their income. And then that, that, that scholarship, that fund will pay the clinician the rest of their fee because what I'm noticing is that most clinicians are completely maxed out at their sliding scale, you know, their number of sliding scale spots. Right. Sometimes someone might need a level of care that's just a bit beyond what an intern can do. Yes. And it's not we've we got to have equitable access to care. And also to become a clinician it takes a lot of education, a lot of student loans. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, we've also got to eat. So right. fair share. Paying clinicians commensurate with their education and, and creating equitable access, I feel really passionate about that.
0: No, that is wonderful. And that often will um, hinder someone from getting... Yes. Getting the- me too.
1: Me, me at times in my own life. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. and, you know, after I continued to turn people away who needed a reduced fee or who needed me to take insurance, but it's, you know, being on paneled with insurance... Right. It's not great for a client or a clinician. Right. Um, and this was before I had an intern. I'm like, gosh, I can't continue to turn people away. Something, there's got to be another way to do this. Right. There's got to be another way. Yeah. Well,
0: and I find that people call me for my services and I ask if I'm on insurance. Like, well, first, insurance doesn't cover the, the things right. that I do because they're right. alternative. But then um, it's not. I would have to be bound by certain diagnostic codes. It's so limiting. Right? So it does limit some things. I hopefully we can through this growth period that we're in right now, hopefully we can come to some sort of better way of delivering health care and specifically men- mental health care that's yes. more holistic. Right? One
1: day I had a client who said, I want to pay for everyone to go to therapy. Yeah, I'm like, well, that's really kind. And she's like, No. I want to pay for people to go to therapy. If you make something, I I'm donating. And I thought, well, I got to do it. You've got to do it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Taking me some time. There's more of that acceptance and forgiveness piece. Right. Right. (laughs) The feeling of
0: deserving the feeling of uh, being supported, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Some things
1: to work through, but that's what I love about life it continually shows you what you need to work on. You know, it's so true. I, I think I spent so much of my 20s being so angsty that I didn't, I didn't know and I wasn't going to be shown or I was shown and I missed it. And the beauty of my 30s, which this is my final month in my 30s. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, have shown me that life is going to give me what I need at just the right time. Oh my gosh,
0: absolutely 100%. And we can either choose to look at it as such or we can choose to say, you know, look at it and say, well, that's not enough or what am I to do with that or what is that? I should have done it sooner. Exactly. Or I missed it. Exactly. Why why do other people have it easier? Why do I not? Mm Mm-hmm and that's that and i feel like that's the the entire role of emotions that we yeah. have is to show us these things and if we we can either stuff those emotions down resulting in physical disease mm-hmm. and other problems or we can choose
1: to work with the emotions learn from them and release them yes i mean i used to think oh, why didn't i just i should have just worked on my trauma sooner i should have i should have should have should have and i realized you know i didn't have the capacity no at 22 to do what I did in therapy at 30 because I hadn't expanded enough as a human by living my life you know it's just I I couldn't have done that and and right
0: my god your prefrontal cortex is not even fully developed
1: until you're exactly the number of times in a working day that I tell somebody that is pretty funny (laughs) but you know I just I that's not to speak to suffering because I feel like that's a whole other other thing I'm not one who has this belief that everything happens for a reason or I don't I, I personally don't think that I think that we live in a world where suffering is is part of life unfortunately and I absolutely hate it um and I think we can, we can grow and learn and beautiful things can come from it, but I wish it was, just didn't exist. Um, but I do think in terms of our own growth and discovery and pursuits, the things that we need to do will make themselves known at the right time. 100%. 100%. And sometimes we need to just take a nap.
0: <laughs> sometimes we just need to take a nap.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right, because things look better when we're feeling well. It's like what we, you know, we, we treat our kids that way. Oh, they're feeling cranky. They need to be fed. Mm-hmm. They need to have a nap. They mm-hmm. need to be played with or have attention right? Mm -hmm. That's the only time that they're ever cranky or upset. And so, but we, we don't expect the same of ourselves. You know, I'm cranky. I just have to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm out of sports. I just need to power through it. Well, we might need a snack or a nap Mm -hmm. or pay attention to or play.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. Or we might need to, yeah. Cozy up with a blanket and not do four things on our to-do list that day and not, and then not have an anxious, thought storm about how much we suck we might need to just watch harry potter under a blanket at 2 p.m on a friday afternoon that sounds really good yeah and then you know do whatever the things are later i think it's when we stop doing the things that we need to do that help our life function that's when we've got some depression red flags
0: that is a very good point you know i'm i am on a personal note um Going through this with my daughter in a way, um, so just wondering. So, is she depressed? Is she not depressed because she's been mm-hmm. sleeping a lot, and not eating very much, but also the school is all virtual, and so she doesn't get to do her usual mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And um, so, when does it, you know just sometimes just allowing her to do what she feels like she needs to do for the moment and not trying to stress about it too much. I don't know where I was going with this tangent, but. uh, (laughs) You were being a mom worrying about your daughter. Exactly. Yes, 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 yes. yes. And so that's why I wanted to have this conversation with you, um, you know, for personal reasons, but also I know that our listeners are all going through this as well.
1: Mm -hmm. how much
0: of it is um you know the pandemic fatigue how much of it is political strife and stress that's going on how much of it is fear and worry about the pandemic how much of it is just actual depression or even loss loss. yes absolutely Mm -hmm. right and so just I, I, I love all of the things that you've had to offer in terms of Mm -hmm. self-talk self-care and and grace, acceptance, and if you really do need help, I would, what's your website? What's, what's that called?
1: Um, well, caseywellco.com is for myself and, and our collective of practitioners. And then for me, it's just my name, com, H-I-N-D-S-O-N.
0: Good. We'll put all those links in the show notes. Wonderful.
1: You You know, we're, we're going to be launching some virtual, I'm calling it book club. It's more than book club, but less than therapy around some, you know, we've got a lot of cool things that are coming up as soon as I have time to get to them with grace daily. Right. Um, So if, you know, if anyone would be interested in, and even if they're not local in Kansas city, As the pandemic restrictions ease a little bit, and as I think we stretch and yearn to grow and connect in the spring season, we're going to try to create opportunities to do that, that, again, provide access to care in in more diversified ways. So that'll be coming up soon in April, May.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Well, I want to keep in touch with you about all of these exciting developments. Yes, please do. See if there's any way that we can help each other in this
1: and. Absolutely. Information. I think yes, cool. we have a beautiful, gorgeous classroom workshop group space that I would love for you to do some things in.
0: Oh, that would be so much fun. And uh, I would love to have you on again to talk about topics as they arise. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you for being part of this. Truly appreciate it.